I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help, with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, our spirits are crushed (laughs) by the episode of NXT that originally aired on October 9th, 2014. In this episode, Sami Zayn loses a professional wrestling match to Titus O'Neil, mm-hmm. which is not a sentence that anyone should ever be forced to say. It's true. Episode 73 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, Tyson Kidd lost to Adrian Neville and he was very sad about it. Mm. This episode, Sami Zayn loses to Titus O'Neil and I am very sad about it. (laughs) But of course, that's how I'm supposed to feel. That is the point. Maybe Bob can help me out a little bit in Bob's breakdown. And anyway, it's hard to feel too sad when you know you've got the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling coming. Followed by the unfashionably gaudy and largely ceremonial presentation of the Bowrens Olivier Award for Outstanding (laughs) Commitment to the Bit. After that, Bob's going to try out some new fanfic on us. Yeah. Uh, Try out? uh, Oh, uh, oh, I get it. No, I see what you did there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, no, I get it. I, Miles, Miles, because tryout was the word. No, I see. I that was see. the word. Um, well, we're on the same page. And that's going to make me so happy that I'm going to give them a big hug Aww. in the form of wrestling move of the week. <gasps> yeah. And I think at that point, we'll be like in a nice, positive place and ready to calmly and logically take on the cheap pop quiz. Oh, that's never the case, but I'll try. (laughs) But before any of that, it's time to get the answers to last episode's cheap pop quiz. I have now skunked Bob for two straight episodes. Can I make it three in a row? Ooh, you might have. I might have, let's see. Question number one. Which of the following do Enzo and Cass reference in their promo against the VOD villains on the next episode? Was it A, Abbott and Costello, B, Terminator 2, C, Hey Arnold, D, both A and C, or E, all of the above? You flirted with both A and C. Mm-hmm. It was going to be either that or all of the above. You eventually chose all of the above. It was neither. Ah. Oh. The correct answer was C, Hey Arnold. Uh, they did not reference Abbott and Costello. They referenced Laurel and Hardy. And they did not reference Terminator 2, they referenced Back to the Future, so... Damn it. C was the correct answer there. Question number two. What weird thing happens in next episode's match between Tyler Breeze and Mojo Rawley? A. Mojo wins in dominant fashion, making Breeze look like an absolute chump. B. After a minute and 15 seconds, the referee calls for the bell during a submission hold, even though nobody tapped out. C. Bull Dempsey accompanies Breeze to the ring, and they appear to be a team now. D. Breeze comes to the ring without his phone. Or E. Hashtag butt watch, Mojo has new gear that has a picture of Breeze's face on the butt, because Mojo is targeting Breeze with his butt, I guess. <laughs> you didn't think I had made that one up? You chose E. I did make it up. Oh, man. How could I have doubted you? What The me of the last time we recorded was a fool, Miles. The correct answer was B, uh, the referee calling for the bell during a submission hold, even though nobody tapped out, we will get to it. And question number three, what's next episode's payoff for Funaki saying he has Hideo Itami's back? 
Was it A, when the Ascension tried to jump atop me again, Funaki runs out to make the save and succeeds, running the Ascension off? B, when the Ascension tried to jump Atami again, Funaki runs out to make the save and fails, resulting in him and Atami both getting their asses kicked. C, when the Ascension tried to jump Atami again, Funaki runs out to make the save, but turns on Atami, helping the Ascension beat him down. D, the Ascension beat up Funaki, then beat up Atami, then make Atami watch them beat up Funaki some more. Or E, there is no payoff, Funaki isn't on the next episode, and nobody says anything about him or acknowledges his previous appearance in any way. Bob, you went with D, the Ascension beat up Funaki, then beat up Atami, then make Atami watch them beat up Funaki some more, and you are correct. Ah, yay, I got a single point! That is one point, your first point in this round of quizzing, Bob. Huzzah! You have acquired it. Good for you. Ah, uh, it is mine, and I shall keep it. <laughs> Until it's time to trade it in. Yeah. Well, we'll see if you earn any more points at the end of the show, but uh, for now, what say we jump into Bob's Breakdown? Our commentary team for this episode is Rich Brennan, Jason Albert, and Renee Young. And you know what? <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. Yeah. It has oh. its moments. It has its moments. Yeah, it does have way. its moments. Well, look, Renee is the bright light in this whole thing, but Renee is shouldering this thing and, it, and is doing an outstanding job. She does a little bit of the all women are jealous of each other thing during the women's match. But oh, that was I wasn't only... even paying attention. I was only looking at Becky Lynch. <laughs> well, she also calls Becky Lynch hot during the women's match. So. Yes. Match number one. The payoff for Mojo Raleigh lightly brushing against Tyler Breeze is here. <laughs> Please note that Tyler Breeze has overdone the self-tanner a bit and is looking more burnt umber than ever on his back and chest. <laughs> a real deep bronze there. The bell sounds and Tyler is relying on the referee to protect his beautiful face. He hides in the ropes and allows the referee to velvet rope the situation. Sorry, sir, you're, you're not on the list. The champagne, <laughs> the champagne room is unavailable to the public this evening. Prince Pretty lounges across the top rope like a fey prince slumming it with the commoners. You know what the commoners don't like? Being called commoners. <laughs> Raleigh attacks! But a fey prince is a fey prince, and you can't expect that sort of a front to stand. The Sealy Court is not going to allow that. Breeze kicks back and grounds Raleigh before doing an armbar that asks, what are the human limits on a rotator cuff? <laughs> Will Raleigh tap? Will he escape? We don't find out because the ref calls it and I guess the match is over. Yeah. And then the medical people come out. So maybe it's serious. Miles, what happened? All right. So what happened is that what I understand is that Mojo is legitimately injured. Oh, no. I don't think it happened during this match. Like, I don't think this match ended the way it did because he had hurt his shoulder in the ring. It could have. Mm. Um, but the fact that Tyler, like, started stomping on it. Like, as soon as Mojo hurt his arm, Tyler came over and started, like, stomping on it and then did an arm submission on him. Makes me think that that was... The, the shoulder was a storyline injury, but the he has another injury in real life. Or maybe the other shoulder, you know what I mean? Something like uh, that. Okay. Um, but this was done to write him off of television for a little while. Um, oh. It's not quite time to ring the bell for him. We're going to see a little bit more of him in the upcoming episodes, but he, he does have an injury. 
So, yeah, but it's, it's such a weird finish, and I don't understand why they did it this way, why they had the ref call it instead of having Mojo just tap. Like, what mm, yeah. are you trying to protect him? You've made him look like shit for weeks. Yeah, that so, is a like, weird move. Yeah, I, I really don't understand why that decision was made. It was very jarring. I, I he could have just tapped out. It would have been fine. You know, like he, the story was he hurt his arm. And then Breeze came in with submission finisher on the arm to get the tap out. And, like, I don't know if Mojo just, like, forgot to tap or didn't want to oh, or what. Oh, no. It was very strange. Well, backstage, Enzo Amore has a serious misunderstanding of what kind of relationship he has with William Regal. <laughs> William Regal is like a cat watching a mouse steal a piece of food. And his face just says... Are you really trying this with me? That's so good. <laughs> and so Enzo is leading him to like go, okay, no, you got to see Carmella try out. You got to see Carmella try out. Like, uh, it's, it's going to be great. And so Regal, I guess, happens to be walking the same direction. So it works out. Goes well, he knocks in. on the door. Yeah. Enzo knocks on his door and then Regal just like opens it and storms out in one motion. What oh, do you my- want? <laughs> It was like a, a sexier version of whenever Michael Caine is mad at the Muppets in a Muppet Christmas Carol. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great comparison. At one point, he's like, you want me to help you get a date? And Enzo was like, no, nah, I'm a G. And I think I couldn't hear entirely, but I think Regal is like, I think you're a V. <laughs> <laughs> the burn. The burn. But, you know, Regal's strained tolerance of this situation yes. is rewarded because he sees Carmella do a drop kick and his curiosity is piqued. So perhaps Enzo is not wrong about every single thing in the universe. So she gets to go to a tryout next week and Carmella is stoked, hugs Big Cass and shoves Enzo. You love to see it. <laughs> you love to see it. Package. I don't always cover these because they're not super important, but it was so wild to see a package that was kind of recapping a storyline involving the Ascension that I was like, oh my God, (laughs) look at these, there's plot beats, holy shit. (laughs) I was really happy for them and I, I was glad to see it even though I was like, I mean, you're recapping almost nothing, but I'm just so happy. I'm happy for them, too, but, like, I, I exactly, you're recapping almost nothing. <laughs> like, why yeah. are we doing this now? <laughs> I know, it is a real too little too late, but I, it's something. No, I get it. It's just so funny, because we're, like, we're not close to the end of the storyline. <laughs> like, what happened on this episode in the storyline did not significantly advance the plot of the storyline. <laughs> Maybe they thought they were just going to, like, abandon it at any second. (laughs) So they were like, shit, if we're going to do a recap, fuck, we better do one today, because who knows? Some guy named Greg was like, I made this, damn it. It took me ten hours. Yeah, we're showing it. Or maybe they just didn't, maybe they were going to save it and show the rest of it later. But they were like, the episode's kind of short, so Mm -hmm, I don't know. I mean, the episode wasn't that short, but, like, why not, you know? You got yeah. time to kill. I've yeah, done that. Fair. I've included j- jokes that weren't that good because I was like, eh, it's a little <laughs> short. I'll put the shit in there. <laughs> I was very proud of all of them. But, you know, I, I could have done more quality control, but chose not to. Match number two. Victor is going to fight Hideo Itami for reals this time. Itami walks to the ring <laughs> like he's ready to attack the floor at any second in case it tries shit. He's like... <laughs> 
He's stalking, but looking at the floor as he kind of stalks. It's very cool and sexy, but it is like, I don't fucking know about this floor, but if this floor tries any shit with me, it's going to be dead. I, it's <laughs> such a unique way to walk, but it's, it's very attractive. That man physically operates as though he's like twice the size that he is. Yes, it is extraordinary to see. So the match starts out weirdly. I heard very clearly, come on, Victor. And I felt <laughs> such a deep joy in my heart that someone out there in October 2014 was like, yes, I care about the less notable member of the Ascension <laughs> enough to scream this out in a room where no one is saying anything. And they're like, you are doing what is good and right in this world, which is to be there and speak your truth, even if your truth is weird and dumb. The least they could have done was say, come yawn, Victor. Oh, oh man. Very Just saying, good. Missed Very opportunity. Good. Victor pulls it at Tommy's face like he's got a Lego head and he's going to pop it off and replace it with a sunglasses face. <laughs> uh, Victor does a big old uppercut that floors a Tommy and literally no one reacts. Silence. It, it is really striking. I don't know that I've ever heard a crowd this dead before. It was like they were watching a piece of experimental theater because it's not like they weren't there and watching it. It wasn't like go away anything. It was just they were watching it in a completely different way than you would watch wrestling. I don't know, man. It it was very odd. Like it was a point in the match where Victor had been sort of on offense for a little while and doing the heel thing of not letting a Tommy mount a comeback every time he tries, that kind of shit. Yeah. And it's a pretty fucking boring match. Let's be real about well, this. Well, okay. So Itami gets back on his groove, springboards off the top rope, blasts Victor with that drop kick. Mm -hmm. A polite golf clap breaks out. Yes. So I was like, okay, they're in it. They're they're not not part of this match. It's almost like they briefly turned into a Japanese crowd. Is that how Japanese crowds are? I've never heard a Japanese crowd dead silent because there's always a little bit of like murmuring there, but they are oh. quiet until it's time to politely applaud a move. That's rather beautiful. Maybe that's what's going on. It was very strange to see it. At no point were they like, yeah. It was weird to see this happening in full sail and have there be no sense of animosity where the crowd was like resentful that this was happening. They were yeah. just doing something different. They were just quiet. It was jarring to me. Victor is laid out. Itami drags him into position for something sexy off the top rope. Camera switches to the top of the ramp. Connor, who has been absent this whole time, is dragging something. He is dragging a person. It's Shofunaki, Itami's buddy, and Connor throws him like you throw a drunk in an old-timey cartoon. <laughs> Seat of the pants, back of the shirt collar, swing, release. I could almost hear the obligatory crash of glass and a cat screaming. <laughs> and he legit throws him as well. I was yeah. like, that's very big of Shofunaki to be like, yeah, sure, you could throw me on a surface that has no padding. That's fine. And I'm like, He's a tough dude. He's a tough dude. Apparently. Itami comes down off the top rope to look at this piece of classic comedy stylings. Victor gets back up and goes to lay out Itami, but Itami's legs are going to defend him just anytime he's in danger. And so just lands a solid kick that brings Victor to the mat. Itami pins him for three and it's over. But Connor, Connor is just incensed. You beat his lover, his 
perfect vampire lover who he has cherished since the stars were born. The daring of you to come here and do such a thing. Have you no respect for love? Mm -hmm. And so it's beat down time. Victor joins in and they tangle Itami's arms in the two lower ropes. And for a form of entertainment that borders on BDSM with spectators a lot of the time. (laughs) This was when I was like, oh, we're really going there. Okay, okay, fine. Yeah, baby. <laughs> I I was shocked that they got the ropes to cooperate in that way, but he's properly like, this is budget shibari, if you will. <laughs> like, we can't afford proper rope work, but uh, this will do. It's actually a really old spot. It usually happens to the heel in wrestling, like traditionally in wrestling matches where you get caught in the two ropes like that. Oh, um, really? As I recall, Andre the Giant loved that is he loved getting knocked into the ropes and like he would do it in a way that it would look like he got knocked into them and then just like they twisted around his arms and he got caught. He was really good at it. What a good egg. Yeah. So Funaki, who's determined to help, crawls into the ring to help, question mark. (laughs) He flops. He just flops at Itami's feet. You know, I was like, you should have just stayed away, buddy. This is a bad (laughs) bet. He does kind of, you know, flops to his feet, sort of. Uh, Victor and Connor subject him to the fall of man in front of Itami. It's very much at Itami that this is happening. Yeah. And then here he is laying on the mat. Connor hovers over him like, I drank part of your friend, buddy, but I'm still thirsty. (laughs) I can hear the telltale rattle of AB positive. Do not test me. That's right. And then he goes to commercial. We come back from commercial and we get to see the highlights of them moving a body onto a stretcher, which is always a thrill. (laughs) I'm so glad that they leave that part out most of the time because it's so tedious because they have to act like they're legit injured. So they're like, you can't just kind of jostle them and go get on the freaking stretcher. We don't have time for this shit. You have to move them like their neck could be broken, which is done with a great deal of delicacy and care because that's not a light thing whenever a neck is in danger. Right. Yeah, so I kind of felt bad for the full sale audience that they had to sit there for the full time and just kind of watch that, but... I mean, I guess- for this, yeah, like, it's just like, Fudaki showed up last week and he's like, hey, I got your back, and his contribution was, <laughs> I didn't do anything, but I somebody came and found me and beat my ass in front of you. <laughs> so I guess you're welcome? Itami sold it with such horror. I was very impressed at his yeah. level of ability to make me go... Okay, this is nothing, but also now it is at least something. Yeah, he really sold it like that was his dad. Like, no, don't hurt my beloved family member that I just met. Yes, I know. And Albert saying, that's his only friend in America. And I was like, (laughs) that's like if somebody said, that's their only friend in Kansas. I'm like, what the fuck? (laughs) That's not a meaningful relationship necessarily. I don't know. Match three. The Vaude Villains! Yes. We love them. Enzo and Cass! And we don't love them! Yeah. Okay, so Obs, Enzo, and Cass come out on the mic. It's good. But the part that's truly important is that there's a burn. I'm going to say the exact quote because I feel like you need to know what it is. Please do. Please say it. Flexing like you're Arnold. More like, hey, Arnold! Because you should have never stepped off the stoop and the crowd reacts. (laughs) It's not even like it's a sick burn. It is beyond that it's a sick burn. It is as though a comedian has said something so 
incisive, so painfully true about the world that everyone's like amazed that anyone could ever say something so perfectly hurtful and good. It's the equivalent of that one gif where like the guy is standing in the middle having just said something with a smile and all his friends around him are like reacting to the burn he just made. Yes. It's that gif in human form. (laughs) I could never have imagined the level of pop that a Hey Arnold reference would get. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I, I... This is how over they were. <laughs> I guess, but I they didn't pop for the other shit until it was Hey Arnold, and then they were like, oh, fuck! <laughs> Nickelodeon references? Jesus! And I was trying to think about the age of the people there, and I was like, well, yes, I get it's a college crowd. Yes, they would be Hey Arnold watchers, but at the same time, one... Not every fucking person watched that show. (laughs) Two, a lot of the people in the crowd are not college students. A lot of them are sort of like community members. They're just Mm. uh, all kinds of different ages. As far as I'm aware, maybe I'm wildly off base in my understanding of the place that Hey Arnold holds in the cultural zeitgeist. I never watched it. I don't think it was, you know, a titan of entertainment. But maybe I'm wrong. When they reacted to that bird like that, I was like, really? And they reacted so hard that, like, it got Cass to react more. Like, Cass heard that pop and he was like, how you doing? (laughs) Yes. I don't have any answers. If you have theories about why Hey Arnold was so powerful... Liquid Rugrats have gotten the same reaction. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I just am trying to understand what happened. Angry Beavers. There are lots of shows from Nickelodeon of that era. And I'll be thinking about this for a long time. So match starts. They beat up Enzo a lot. And it's great. (laughs) It's fun. And then Big Cass gets in and it's not as great because I don't want my babies to lose. I love my babies. Mm -hmm. It was really fun. (laughs) When Big (laughs) Big Cass used Enzo like a chair. Yeah, that was fun. And just slammed him down onto Simon Gotch. Because I think using a smaller person as an offensive weapon is tremendously hilarious. (laughs) I mean, especially if they're a piece of shit. Like, that's that's the dream. So Gotch recovers. English takes out Cassidy. Gotch delivers human garbage Enzo over to the vaudevillain corner and gets him down to the mat. Tags in English. English scares the shit out of me, as he always does. That leap from the top. Takes out Enzo and pins him. Enzo is defeated. Huzzah. Cash just never tag him. <laughs> yeah. Like, why are you doing this? It was a very strange little kind of nothing match. I like the villains enough that I was delighted by that. But yeah. From a narrative standpoint, I like that Cass has so much belief in his shitty little friend I, that he loses matches because of it. I have to say that that dynamic is very powerful for me in any piece of media mm-hmm. where you're like, I have no reason to be on the side of this person, but I love them and would protect them at all costs. And yeah, I mean, I would ideally like the people involved to not be pieces of shit, but that dynamic is tremendous. I, I love that. Backstage, Sami Zayn has a match with Titus O'Neil tonight. And, you know, it's it's not just because Titus was throwing his weight around. It was because he felt the need to stand up for his friend. You know, stand mm-hmm. up for Neville. 
mm-hmm. Zane's eyebrows are conveying an entire counter narrative about <laughs> Zane's feelings, and it is chef kiss. His mouth is saying one thing, his eyebrows, oh, his eyebrows are telling many deeper tales. <laughs> match number four, Lady Whistledown's match report. Yes. There are many diamonds of the first water in our social set, but there can only ever be one who sets the tone. Although that is Lady Flair at present, Lady Banks is making no secret of her intentions to claim that throne. The arrival of Lady Lynch has proved to be a source of indignation to Lady Banks, but tonight is an opportunity to make clear that no one is going to get the better of her. Her viciousness would give many of the older dragons of the town a run for their money, but Lady Lynch is far from helpless. She's easily able to knock Lady Banks down several times, and when Lady Banks happens to be in easy position for receiving a kick, our newest arrival is only too happy to deliver. Lady Banks cannot be kept back for long, however, as her investment is perhaps of a more personal nature. Leaping upon the back of Lady Lynch and falling back to drive her knees into Lynch's back before applying her hold that adds insult to injury, cruelly wrenching Lynch's already troubled spine, Lynch is forced to allow Lady Banks this victory by tap-out. I am sure that while Lady Banks was satisfied with the outcome, the only thing that will truly satisfy her is the feeling of gold in her hands. Hmm. Big fan of watching Sasha Banks wrestle these matches in a way that is directed squarely at her goals and is like, yes, everything is a vendetta. Every fucking thing is a vendetta for her. It feels spiteful every time she wrestles. She's really gotten it now. Like, she just really understands the character she's playing and what she's doing in the break. And I really enjoyed this match. Is her music different? I went back and discovered that she used that music in a previous episode and we covered it and didn't comment on it. And I don't really know why, but it's the first time I really noticed it, too. It's not her forever music, right? It's her main music. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it is? Later on, she gets like a remix of it, I think. Oh, okay. Is that the one that Snoop Dogg does? Yeah, she gets like a a Snoop Dogg version of it. But this is this is the music that carries her through to the main roster and beyond. Because I do fucking love it. It's it is such a fucking great. It was my ringtone for years. <laughs> it's I I want it to be my ringtone. It's very good. I don't do ringtones anymore because I can't handle my phone going off. Um, but yeah, so I just same. keep it on silent all the time. Yep. But yep. back in the day, I would have Sasha Banks' theme song as my ringtone. And I would do the thing where like, you know, somebody calls you and you just like let it. You kind of like, oh, yeah, pretend to look at your phone and like consider who's calling for a second to let it play a little bit longer. Yes. Maybe somebody will ask you what that song is. And you can talk to them about for Oh, wrestling. my God. You laid as a fucking honey trap that you were like. Here's how I get people to love Sasha Banks. That you were a very a stealth campaign. If it makes oh you feel God. any better, it never worked. <laughs> well, I'm shocked, Miles. Just shocked that it didn't work. It's amazing how people at the grocery store don't give a fuck what your ringtone is. I know. It was a hard lesson to learn. Match number five. It's natural 20 on a charisma roll, Sami Zayn. <laughs> Going up against Titus O'Neil, who is just a a fucking mountainous presence in the ring. And it's hard to roll for charisma against a force of nature, but Zane really gives it a go. 
O'Neal is able to wait out Zane's early offense and choose his moment to strike. And being 8,000 feet tall and the weight of a small planet, anything he does to Sami Zayn lands like he is steamrolling a marshmallow peep. And Sammy is clinging on, tries to lay in a few slaps, just feet wobbling under him. Titus O'Neil hoists him up the way you or I might hoist a modest bag of groceries and then <laughs> throws him down to the mat. Not content with that act of throwing, Sammy is thrown out of the ring. Then back from commercial, and Sammy Zane has never looked more like a tiny newborn sloth. <laughs> he is clinging to Titus's chest. Now, largely because Titus is trying to forcibly break his spine through tactical right. hugging. But it is something to fucking see. And you would think that this hugging would not feature heavily in the match because Titus O'Neil could just kill him at any time. But he's really into holding Sami Zayn. And I was like, at first going, why? And then it was like, you know, if I was a person in a match and I was like, do I have the option to hold Sami Zayn? I'm fucking holding Sami Zayn. <laughs> it's, I was like, I feel this is really relatable at this point. Titus O'Neil just wants to be near Sami Zayn. And honestly, same. So that's fair. Zane does manage to pull a fast one and get O'Neal on the outside and then starfish him right in the face. And then back in the ring, that big old spread eagle crossbody. It takes a lot to get O'Neal anywhere even close to pinned, though. And Zane tries for the simplest method. Just grab onto his back and start trying to choke someone out and scream a lot. <laughs> so you go, yeah. ah, ah. It was a very Muppet move and I appreciated it. <laughs> Zane does get in an almost pin, but O'Neal's legs are too long to be corralled. And the ref's like, look, he's under the ropes in like seven places. He might be an Octodad, Sammy. That's a lot of length there. Zane goes to the top. Maybe he can make something happen. O'Neal is like, maybe this dick and jostles <laughs> Sammy. So he is thoroughly and completely crotched. Yes. O'Neal follows up with a powerbomb that wrecked Sammy to death. And he's pinned by O'Neal for three. But that's not enough because O'Neill's like, well, yeah, I mean, he's dead, but like he could be deader. But there's someone in the back who isn't going to let that happen to the man he loves, to the man he canonically and definitely loves, probably <laughs> has thought about kissing. <laughs> Neville Wise Gamgee sprints to the ring and drags <laughs> Sami Zayn's ragdoll body out of danger and helps get him situated, which is so fucking adorable because Neville is two thirds as tall as Sammy <laughs> Zane is. Right. It is like watching a fucking hobbit try to help a man get away from danger. And I'm like, but you are small and you will be injured. But he's also <laughs> a fucking Dorito. So you can like probably power lift Sammy Zane. It's a hell of an image. <laughs> It is. It's so sweet. And I was like, oh, God, please don't drop him. I mean, no, Neville wouldn't. But at the same time, I was like, yeah, this is an awkward thing if Sami Zayn's just going to do like dead weight, which he kind of yeah. is, but gets him on the ramp and is looking at Sami Zayn with, you know, tender concern in between glaring over at Titus O'Neil has no business getting involved in the affairs of Middle Earth and how very dare you. <laughs> but a precious image to end the match on. Well, thank you so much for that breakdown, Bob. What did you think of this episode overall? Uh, nothing bad, but nothing outstanding either. Like, it was above average, but I would say above average 
keeping in mind that some of what I've seen has been terrible in the past. Right. Right. Not terrible that I was like, oh, I can't believe I had to watch this. It was fine. But just that now that I've seen shit that's like firing on all cylinders, mm-hmm. I am more aware of whenever I'm like, oh, this episode is kind of not doing anything super important, but that's okay. It's still holding up its end of the bargain. Hmm. I have some thoughts on that. But oh, uh, yeah. okay. to get to those, Bob, we have to get into the sight, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. So, Megan, Bob, for this episode, what did your elf eyes see? Koala Sammy Zane. <laughs> He's so tiny. He's not tiny. He's probably as tall as I am, maybe taller. But in the arms of Titus O'Neil, I was like, I could hold him. I could hold Sammy Zane like a baby sloth. And I was like, that would be weird. But I still kind of <laughs> want to. And he looked so adorable. Everything in me that loves a baby animal's calendar was just like on fire. That's fair. Yeah, that was just an extremely powerful image. I mean, there was a lot to see, but that, I'm sorry. I just love seeing a smaller man held by a larger man. (laughs) This is a real uh, coming out party for Bob's fetishes here on this episode. Hey, look, I'll also take a smaller lady being held by a larger lady. Or, you know, mix up your genders, whatever. But I just, a small being held by a tall is very powerful. All you're saying is that size matters. Uh, Well, size differences matter. (laughs) Size differences matter. (laughs) And Miles, what did your elf eyes see? Sam Zane is 6'1", by the way. Oh, is he? Oh, okay. Well... I could probably pick him up. I would hurt, injure myself, probably. but I could do you it. Would. My elf eyes uh, took in the shirts the VOD villains were wearing. Uh-huh. Because uh, I have one. Yes, you do. I have one because Bob sent me one. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. I got myself one. I did not realize, buddy, that cotton has no give. It is destroying my boobs every time I even <laughs> try to put it on. <laughs> And uh, yeah, wrestling shirts be like that sometimes. I thought that it would be the cotton that has some give, but that shit is like canvas cotton. And I was going, <laughs> oh, OK, uh, I don't I, I have to figure something out here. Well, I really enjoyed it. You got it for me before they started wearing it on the show. I wasn't sure when they were getting those shirts, but they came out wearing them. And I was like, there they are. Yeah, it's a cute <laughs> shirt, too. It is so freaking cute. Very good shirt. I really enjoy wearing it. Oh, I'm so glad. I'll have to go on fucking eBay and get myself one that will actually allow my boobs to, to not perish. There you go. Well, Bob, leaving your boobs aside for the moment, what did your <laughs> Vulcan ears hear? Well, I mean, uh, maybe boob related. <laughs> Here's the thing. I want to be professional out here and everything, but Becky Lynch looks hot, says Renee Young. (laughs) And Renee Young said a lot of fun things, but I was just really happy that Renee Young said that. And then there was kind of silence and she acknowledged like, look, I know you can't chime in on this because you're both dudes and that would be weird, but she just needed to speak her piece and put that out into the universe. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's true. Becky Lynch is extraordinarily striking. 
Yes, she's and not wrong, Renee. It, she's only gotten more so. And like, Slasher Banks is also fucking beautiful. She is. But something about some of the sharpness of Becky Lynch's features is just arresting whenever you catch her from the right angle. And I'm just happy for Renee's sapphic feels. All right, Miles, what did your Vulcaneers hear? Well, I did have that one marked down, mm. but I went with this one instead from commentary. <laughs> So this is after the VOD villains have come out and they're kind of posing in the ring. Renee says, you know what I like about the VOD villains? They're gentlemen. There's not enough gentlemen in this world. <laughs> Albert says, Renee, I would open the door for you. I'm a gentleman. Renee says, I'm going to put that to the test. Okay. <laughs> That's the exchange. Then Enzo and Cass come out and do their whole fucking thing. They do the Back to the Future line. They do the Laurel and Hardy line. They do the Hey Albert line. They're, they're, you know, the crowd's all fired up. And the announcers are reacting to that. Renee says, if that doesn't fire you up, at which point <laughs> Jason Albert <laughs> decides he needs to go back to the previous conversation. He needs to revisit the gentleman thing. Oh, geez. He says... Hey, Renee, I gotta say something. Going back to being a gentleman, I'd oh, just like to say... God. If you lost a shoe or broke a heel, I'd pick you up and I'd carry you to the other side. Oh, my God. What are you talking... He gets it wrong. And Renee just so gently bails him out. She says, really? A puddle? I could walk over your jacket? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. pretending that he had said the thing he meant to say. And he's like, you could walk over my jacket. And Renee says, that's some old school gentlemanly stuff. Oh, <laughs> that, I love it whenever somebody, anytime somebody saves you, it's just the best. You're just like, you're a saint. Thank you. Oh, I could not get enough of it. Like, Albert, the fact that he went back to talk about it and then obviously forgot what he was going to say Oof. or, like, misspoke. And Renee just, like, offering him that lifeline completely selflessly, completely seamlessly. I really enjoyed it. God, yeah. Having been the person who was saved, I, yes. I'm, I'm so great. Thank God there are Renee Youngs in the world. Indeed. All right, Bob, what did your human heart feel? I mean, I don't even think you need to, you know. I, I do know. Neville saving his bay. His fucking precious Bay, who he loves with his entire heart and would do anything for, but not that, which is to say, let him have the championship. But he loved him enough to save him. And I bet he's going to be like, you know, go home later and go, but what would it be like if I if I'd really trusted him, if I really let him into my heart? <laughs> it's it's so beautiful. All right, Miles, what did your human heart feel? Loved that bit. I actually really loved the the actual match between Sammy and Titus. And it was weird because the first time I watched it, when I was kind of watching ahead a little bit to make sure I knew what was coming, which is what I do for the show. Yeah. I was like, oh, well, that match sucked. Yeah. And I was watching it more closely this time. Sammy's promo before the match is like very confident, more confident than we usually see Sammy. And that's because Sammy, this is not only a main roster guy, but this is like a low level main roster guy. This is not Antonio Cesaro. Yeah. This is not Jack Swagger even. This is like, like it, Sammy says, he's in a feud with the bunny, right? Like he's not a threat. Yeah. And the fact that he loses to him and he loses to him in the way that he does, because like Titus O'Neil, he's doing a thing. He's doing the wrestling version of like an improv when somebody's being a dick and like not yes anding you ever. Yes. And like just saying no to everything. Sammy like tries to Irish whip him. Nope. 
He just like, doesn't move. He's too big. Cesaro doesn't do that. Cesaro moves with you. Cesaro uses your momentum and turns into something else and uses his amazing strength in various ways. Titus is not, like, stronger than Cesaro. He's just big, and he doesn't move very well, and Sammy doesn't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that he loses the match, I know what's coming after this. Let me okay. just put it that way. Yeah. And it is so important that he loses this match. Okay. Okay, so, that's really interesting. Okay, brain, let's yeah. try and remember that this is important and then refer back to it later, okay? Deal? Just when we're okay. on the next episode, remember that, I mean, I'm sure he'll remind you, but remember that Sammy just lost Titus fucking O'Neill. Okay. Well, those were the sight sounds and feels of pro wrestling. Bob, it is now time to give out our uh, awards, specifically the Bowrens Olivier Award for Outstanding Commitment to the Bit. So, Bob, who's getting your Lawrence Bolivier award on this episode? Look, yes, I could give it to Sammy, who did some eyebrow acting and thought about it. Yeah, but Shofunaki's helpless flop (laughs) in the ring. He crawled in under the ropes and just (laughs) flopped like a dead fish. It was such (laughs) comedy flopping and i loved it i would ideally like to give it to both hideo itami and shofunaki but Uh if i only have to give to one person it's the person who flopped like it was a cartoon and they were crawling through the desert and then at the very last second they just like couldn't go any further it was that it's so perfect i you know i i laughed at it when you first said it but i totally get it and i get giving it to tommy too because tommy really did sell the idea that this man he loves is being murdered in front of him yeah especially whenever we went into this going this is nothing and then by the yes. end of it i was like well look i mean i don't know that i believe it's something but i am having a good time and i'll take it miles who are you giving your borance olivier award to i'm giving mine to titus oh okay tell me I just, he's not a good wrestler. Yeah. But for this specific role, he did what he needed to do. You know what? I'm with you. What he needed to do was be Andre the Giant in The Princess Bride. Yes. Like, that's what this match was. They even did the thing, like you mentioned, where Sammy jumped on his back and had his arm around his throat just the way it happens in The Princess Bride. Like, that's what this match was. And in that movie, Andre doesn't do anything athletic. (laughs) He just stands there and is big. And that's what Titus needed to do in this match to make the match what it needed to be. I don't know if he did it on purpose or not, or if he really is just that limited of a professional wrestler doesn't really matter to me i thought he did a great job (laughs) i am with you i actually thought about giving it to titus o'neill as well he could have tried to overplay like his hand and maybe try to do some things that are not in his wheelhouse and instead he stuck to what he's good at and fucking killed it congratulations titus never thought i'd be giving you this award but uh you earned it buddy you earned it by being big and immobile so thank you for that Well, it's about to be time for Wrestling Move of the Week, but first, we have to hear Bob's fanfic explaining last episode's wrestling term of the week, which was tryout. See what you got, Bob. Bob Belcher looked at the group before him at the tryout. 
Linda had been really supportive about this whole thing. Maybe more supportive than it deserved. Yeah, go! You <laughs> suplex that beanbag, sweetheart! Good hustle out there! Good hustle! Yeah! <laughs> Lean into that punch! Bite him! Bite his face! Lynn, no. We don't We don't want the biting faces. Sure we do! It'll look great! Okay, but, but not at the tryout. We need to see who we want to have on the roster before anyone starts biting anyone. All right, all right. You don't have to bite him, Mart! No! Bob said to save the biting since it's a tryout. No, of course you're getting on the roster. Bob sighed. Lynn, he's, he's got to try out first. We can't just hire everyone. This and the no biting? We didn't start this promotion to play it safe. Next, you're going to say no foreign objects at tryout. No! No foreign objects! <laughs> All right, sweetie, we'll save them for practice. Okay, let's do your tryouts. Lynn gathered everyone around the ring, and the two of them watched them go through some basic physical exercises, checking out conditioning. Bob stopped at a trio doing push-ups. One was dressed as Barney Fife, one was dressed as Barney Rubble, and one was dressed as a purple dinosaur. <laughs> the purple dinosaur was laying face down, wheezing heavily and unable to do a push-up. Teddy, I told you that this isn't the kind of thing you could just come in and do. You have to prepare. <laughs> you have to condition. A muffled voice from the dinosaur costume said, I'm not Teddy, I'm Barney, the dinosaur from your imagination. Teddy, I recognize your wheezing. What's with all the Barneys? Oh, we figured we could be a trio, the Barney Bunch. Then you'd have to hire me. You can't just have two Barneys. That would be stupid. Bob <laughs> wiped a hand over his face. Teddy, look, you're going to get hurt. Lynn came over squealing. Look at the little dinosaur costume, Bobby. That's too cute. Teddy, you look great. <laughs> Thanks, Lynn, came the muffled voice. <laughs> Lynn, he's going to get hurt, Bob argued. He doesn't have to. He could just bite people. That's fine. <laughs> oh my God, Lynn! What is it with you and the biting? But it's fun. Look at him. He has a big dinosaur head. He can just chop, chop, chop. The crowd will love it. Come on, Bob. I'll start using the treadmill for 30 minutes a day. I promise. Just let me do this. Teddy asked, flopping over to lay his hands on his stomach, still breathing heavily. Look at him, Bobby. You gotta. All right, fine. You made it through the tryout, Teddy. You're on the roster. Yay! Lynn yelled. Do you want to come <laughs> see all the great brass knuckles I got for everyone, Teddy? No foreign <laughs> objects at tryouts! Oh my goodness, Bob. You have outdone yourself with that one. Thank you. Thank you. I I feel a great kinship with Linda Belcher many times <laughs> in my life. I can uh, see that. You really nailed her inflections. I, I heard her voice when you were talking. Oh, thank you. All credit goes to Zadkiel, our Sidreal constellation, for the suggestion of Barney Fife, Barney Rubble, and Barney the Dinosaur from your imagination. And then Rafael Medina, who said Linda Belcher. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. And uh, this is what I've done with it. Two great tastes that go great together. Thank you so it's, much for that, Bob. Oh, my God. I couldn't even include the kids because I'm like, the kids are too destructive. We can only yeah, have no, the no, I think it was so much better this way. Well, it is now time for Wrestling Move of the Week. And the Wrestling Move of the Week for this episode is Bear Hug. Yeah! The Bear Hug is a submission maneuver that Titus O'Neil uses actually a couple of times in this episode. And I wanted to talk about it specifically because we 
might never see it again. I don't remember. What? What? Well, I mean, you need a size difference that's pretty enormous. It's entirely possible that we never see it again. Now, if you watch this match, you'll know exactly what move we're talking about. And frankly, even if you didn't, you probably understand what a bear hug is. When you and your opponent are both in standing positions, you lock your arms around their chest or torso and squeeze, and that's about it. Usually, you do this while facing your opponent, but you can wrap your arms around them from behind. This is called an inverted bear hug. Trapping one or more of their arms inside your arms is optional, as is lifting them off the ground while you perform this move. Titus has Sammy off the ground the first time he does it, but then keeps Sammy on the ground the second time he does it. The only requirement is your arms... Their midsection squeeze. That's a bear hug. Okay. Now, the reason you almost never see bear hugs anymore is because they're really fucking old school. And I didn't even know how old school they were until I started researching them. Oh, yeah? So the bear hug is a move that doesn't require athleticism so much as pure upper body strength, which is why Titus O'Neil is doing it. Style-wise, Titus is a throwback to the days when wrestling, and WWF specifically it should be said, was built around big strong dudes with lots of muscles. For example, the bear hug was the finishing move of Bruno Sammartino who was billed as the strongest man in the world and who held the Worldwide Wrestling Federation Championship, now known as the WWE Championship, for almost eight years. Whoa. Between 1963 and 1971, which is still the longest reign in the title's history. The bear hug continued to be used throughout the 70s and 80s by wrestlers like Hulk Hogan, Big John Studd, and The Ultimate Warrior, But in the late 80s and early 90s, the industry starts to change. Smaller wrestlers like Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels get popular, and mainstream wrestling starts to model itself after Hart's technical prowess and Michaels' speed and agility, and it's basically never looked back. Huh. There's not much of a place for the bear hug in modern wrestling, because there's a million other cooler things you could be doing. And where it was once used to show off strength, it's now kind of considered a sign that you don't know how to do very much else. Aww. But, but, and this is the part about this that I did not know, the bear hug is actually even older than Bruno Sammartino, and in fact it's older than American wrestling as a whole. What? So Wikipedia seems to think the bear hug was quote-unquote invented by Terrible Ted, who okay. was a literal bear who was put into wrestling matches across <gasps> the U.S. and Canada from 1950? I mean, that's cruel, but I like the name Terrible Ted. But that's cruel, <laughs> and we d- we don't approve of asking bears to wrestle. Yeah, from 1950 to 1975. But that claim, even on Wikipedia, is extremely poorly sourced. Yeah. Like Wikipedia has the thing above it that's like, eh, "Citation needed. This site is not reliable." I was like, "All right." I couldn't find anything to back up Terrible Ted being associated with the bear hug beyond the fact that he's a bear. On the other hand, we have Ruslan Pashaev, and I don't think I'm pronouncing that right. He's uh, from Azerbaijan, I believe. So sorry uh, if I'm mispronouncing that. He is a professional dancer and author of the book The Story of Ketch, which is a history of Lancashire Catches Catch Can Wrestling from 1820 to 1870. According to Pashayev, there were three styles of English folk wrestling that had been brought to England by the Norse in the 8th and 9th centuries, and the oldest of these he refers to as, wait for it, hug wrestling, Ah! 
which was a contest of upper body strength in which the goal was to throw your opponent on the ground using only your arms and hands. So basically you both hug each other and then you try to get the other person on the ground using just your upper body. Uh, Pashayev goes on to say that, quote, on the continent, meaning Europe outside the UK. Yeah. The original ancient Germanic test of strength with equal hold around the body was known as the bear's fight. And it was called that because it looks like the thing bears do where they hug each other. I mean, they might also be fighting, but they do the thing, you know? Apparently, this kind of bear wrestling or hug wrestling or bear hug wrestling, if you will, is still practiced as a legitimate sporting event in places like Germany and Sweden. Um, But the bear hug is something of a dinosaur in professional wrestling, and I'm glad we got to see one because I learned all this cool stuff about it. And (laughs) because it turns out it's basically like the first wrestling move. That's really beautiful. Yeah, I thought it was really fun. I just started looking into it because I thought it would be a fun move to talk about, and I had no idea how deep it went. You went on a journey. So anyway, come back in two episodes for Bob's fanfic explaining the bear hug, because we have another guest coming on on our next one. Yeah. All right, Bob. Well, with that in mind, we're about at the end of our show, but we can't leave before we complete the cheap pop quiz. Will I get un point, perhaps? A second, third, and potentially fourth point are Mm. on offer to you here, Bob. So here we go. Oh, on offer. On offer, are they, Miles? No, they're on offer if you can take them. Yeah. All right. Question number one. On the next episode, which current AEW wrestler gets to be the jobber for Carmelo's debut match? Huh. Is it A, Ruby Soho? B, Leva Bates? C, Serena Deeb? D, Allie, a.k.a. The Bunny, or E, current AEW Women's Champion, Thunder Rosa. All of them were wrestling at this point in their careers, I feel inclined to tell you. Okay, thank you. Um, I'm going to say Ruby Soho. Okay. Ruby Soho. Question number two. In other women's wrestling news, which two women have a locker room conversation on the next episode in front of a familiar looking mirror? <gasps> Is it A, Sasha Banks and Becky Lynch? B, Sasha Banks and Alexa Bliss? C, Becky Lynch and Alexa Bliss? D, Alexa Bliss and Emma? Or E, Emma and Bailey? Sasha Banks and Alexa Bliss. Sasha Banks and Alexa Bliss choosing B for that one. I'm going to say now that so that away later whenever I get this wrong. I know why I said this. This yeah. is a note for me. It's because Summer turned Sasha evil. And so I feel like it only makes sense for Sasha to like pass along the evil to somebody else. Sure. And I feel like Alexa Bliss is ripe for the picking because I feel like I mean, babyface Alexa Bliss has run its course. I mean, I don't think there's anything developing there unless I'm very wrong. So I feel right. like, I mean, maybe she can come back and be a face later on. But right now, she got to be an evil. All right. And question number three. On the next episode, Wesley Blake and Buddy Murphy actually get a collective name as a tag team. And by that, I mean, Alex Riley gives them a name. Oh, no. <laughs> by saying he ran into them before the match and they <gasps> told him they are now calling themselves what oh god is it a the dynamic dudes b the american males c team thick (laughs) d techno team 2000 oh lord or e 
the Ding Dongs. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I should point out at this point that all of these are really tag team names that have existed. I am so... No, I don't. <laughs> I disapprove of this so much. The two most palatable options are the dynamic dudes and the American males. I am trying to think which WWE would condone, although they probably would condone any of these. <laughs> and which ones Alex Riley is most likely to say on air. Mm-hmm. I don't think I have heard him say dudes. I think the American males is a terrible name, but I could see that being a thing that they say. And given that Wesley Blake and Buddy Murphy at this point, that is their character. They're male. Yeah, they're male and presumably American, maybe not, maybe Canadian, but you know, for the purposes of this product, that's good (laughs) enough. Yeah, Buddy Murphy is Australian, actually, but that won't necessarily stop them. No, I'm still going to go with it. I'm going to say American males. Okay, American males is your answer. And uh, come back on the next episode to see if Bob got any more points in this edition of the Cheap Pop Quiz. If it's the Ding Dongs, I'm going to (laughs) riot. Well, that's about all we got for this episode, Bob. As always, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for holding my hand as I watched my beloved doggo get squished. (laughs) look he needed to be squished it's for his own good you'll see what's coming i yeah i guess so but he's so cute (laughs) i don't like this animal cruelty thank you also to everybody listening and uh, to everybody who goes over to patreon.com slash nxt wrestling fan and kicks a little bit of money our way uh we really appreciate you and everything you do to help keep the show going it's amazing of you thank you we're going to reward you for that in just a minute here. Quickly, before we do that, I do want to uh, throw the floor over to Megan Bob for a second, who would like to let everybody know that a new episode of a certain other podcast <laughs> has dropped. Yeah, I know. That hard choices comes but once a month, which is frankly not enough. But, you know. I, look, so, if, look I, if I only came once a month, I'd be way grumpier than I am now. <laughs> look, hard choices is a, is a labor of love. It's a labor of hard boner love. And yes. the Doctor Who episode is out. It is Jamie Smith from the Unspoiled Network. It is Sharon Schneiderman, <laughs> past guest of this very show that you are listening to now. It is Chris Newton, mm-hmm. past guest of this very show that you are listening to now. And it is me, person who is often on this show very now. I think you've been on every episode of this show, Bob. I think it's safe to say that you have been a constant presence on this program. (laughs) (laughs) And you're going to get all the Doctor Who stuff you can possibly stand. It is both new and old Who, but I would say it leans more heavily new Who. But the old old Who that you're going to be touching on in it is not so alienating. There is very little of it that you're going to be like, I have no idea who that is. I think you're going to be like, yep, yeah. I am very familiar with who that is, even though I have not necessarily seen an episode with that person. So if you're like, who conversant and just love a good conversation about boners, then this is going to be perfect for you. So yeah, absolutely go over to wherever you get your podcasts and find this episode of Hard Choices. And there's also a little mini-sode that dropped on the Patreon. And then there is a another weird thing coming on the Patreon. 
Because I'm weird and I keep making shit, so I don't know. Go over to the hard choices. Bob Patreon can't if stop you want. at this point. I have Bob I have a real stop. problem. I have <laughs> I have another project I'm working on that we'll hear about someday whenever I finally fucking finish it. So there we go. I I have an All addiction right. and it's a real problem. Look, there's more important things to talk about. It is the finale of this trios tournament that we have been in since I believe December. It's been a while. Yeah, I think December is about right because we started doing it. I think I like mentioned it right around the time Simon was born, who you can probably hear giggling in the background right now. <laughs> uh, so it's been we've been going for a while with the trios tournament. We have finally come down to three teams. They are the team of Artemis, Overton Payne and the Brick Toss Kid. Goodwill Green, Crash Tag, Next Wrestling Fan Federation Champion, Crash Tag, and Fat Blunt 69. And the team of Morgan Mab, Watership Doom, and Neil. And uh, those are the three teams that come out for this epic, no disqualification, three-way trios clash. I'm guessing that the no disqualification element does come into it. I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) I what? What? (laughs) No, this is based on NXT, so clearly we're going to announce a no disqualification stipulation and it's not going to matter at all. It's like a ladder match where they're just like, actually, somebody just knocks it down. (laughs) The ladder never comes into it. (laughs) All right, Bob, how does this match start out? Fat Blunt starts out, and we had not mentioned this before, but I think it it bears mentioning that some people do like a congenial handshake as a show of respect. Fat Blunt is of the stoners, and so whenever he does the, you know, lighting up the blunt and taking a hit, Ever the Gentle Robot offers (laughs) a hit to his opponents. You know, friend or foe is like, look, man. Right. You got to share it if you got it. That's just part of the deal. Morgan and Brick Toss Kid both decline. Not because they're not necessarily interested, but they are here for something else. <laughs> it is so weird to have Morgan Mab start in any match, but she has some plans, it seems. And uh, while Fat Blunt is, you know, handling his weed business, she sends the Brick Toss Kid on a tour of the turnbuckles. The match starts off from there. A lot of great moves. Crowd is very hot for this one. Tagging in and out. A lot of new combinations of people obviously throwing their weight around. At one point, Neil uh, is in the ring and has Overton Payne in a sharpshooter submission maneuver. Neil is a submission specialist, as we know. Crash Tag comes up behind him, jumps up and wraps his legs around Neil's neck from behind and flips backward going for that poisoned Rana, you know. Mm. But Neil, Neil's too strong. You can't just do that to Neil. He doesn't flip. He just stays there in with the sharpshooter locked in. So Crash Tag is like hanging upside down on his back and his legs are still locked around Neil's neck. And then Overton <laughs> Payne, while still in the sharpshooter, yes. arches his back up and oh grabs Crash Tag's head and stretches God. him. So now I've like in the process, Crash Tag stretches Neil's neck because he's got the so they're all stretching each other. <laughs> all three of them have each other in submission holes at the same time. I fucking love that shit. That is the best. So I mean everyone gets out of these holes, obviously, because we're not done. Here. Eventually, yeah. Neil, who normally never does any top rope stuff. That's just not what he fucking does is in the ring and decides to do the extremely rare, on an endangered species of a move whenever it comes to Neil, a flying right. crossbody at oh, Lord. Overton Payne and uh, Crash Tag. And Overton Payne, who also does a lot of submission work, manages to catch yes. Neil 
and then get him into a weird shoulder thing that looks extremely painful and forces Neil to the rope for a break, which is not a thing Neil likes to do. Yeah, I think at this point, like there's a, a an extended sequence of Neil and Overton Payne exchanging like submission holds and technical wrestling grapples yeah. and like the kind of sequence that really gets like the hardcore wrestling fans to their feet, right? Yes. Um Eventually, though, things do break down. The Brick Toss Kid is here, and there is no disqualification, so obviously <laughs> weapons come out eventually. Uh, at one point, he just, like, pulls out a bunch, like, a boatload of steel chairs out oh, from no. under the ring. And just, like, grabs one, throws it at one of his <laughs> opponents. Grabs another one, throws it at another person. The only one he doesn't hit is Morgan Mab because he runs out of chairs. But when he's done, Overton Payne grabs the Brick Toss Kid and throws them at Morgan Mab. Oh, my fucking God. That's incredible. So Goodwill Green is able to do their move, Ecosystem Reset, which they can really only do whenever there's a lot of people in the ring. And it's just a spinning back fist on an entire group of opponents. So everybody sort of dominoes. And she puts some fucking sauce on it. And Morgan and Brick Tosco flying. Yeah, we should mention that uh, we heard from our patron, Kenning, who has uh, requested us to uh, make Goodwill Green's pronouns they, she. So that is now happening. Uh, thank you so much for reaching out and telling yes, us. We thank love you. it. We, we love when it when do people that. do that. It's so important. Thank you. Anytime you've yeah. you're like, you know what? I want these other pronouns. They're the good pronouns for me. Tell us. At one point in all this chaos, you know, you have to always get to like the eye of the hurricane, right? Oh, yeah. And at one point toward the middle of the match, the action stops entirely. <gasps> when what appear to be alternate reality versions of Paul Jeffries and LeBlanca. No fucking way. Roll out from under the ring, punching each other. Jesus fucking. Uh, all the competitors just kind of stop and stare. Instead of her traditional white, LeBlanca is wearing canary yellow for some reason. What? And Paul Jeffries is dressed like Lord Humongous from the Road Warriors. Oh, so that's amazing. <laughs> I'm not sure what reality this is. Um, after another minute or so of brawling, they just roll back under the ring and like. Everybody just kind of stands around looking confused. The refs lift the apron to, like, take a look under the ring, but there's there's nothing there. There's nobody there. Whoa! Oh, that's tremendous. I love it. Everybody's kind of standing there not doing anything, but finally Fat Blunt 69 just, like, shrugs and elbows Artemis in the solar plexus. <laughs> and then everybody remembers they're supposed to be fighting and the match continues. Oh. Eventually, Morgan Mab's team does the thing, you know, where the heels take over the match for a while. They tag back and forth. Uh, it's a three-way, so they're specifically working over Overton Payne and Goodwill Green, who they've managed to weaken enough that they can kind of, you know, you tag somebody in, Watership Doom tags Neil in, he stomps uh, Green, stomps Overton Payne, tags back out, that, that kind of thing. This is partially made possible by the fact that, as the cameras eventually notice, uh, the Brick Toss Kid has, has come around, has had a change of heart. Um, <laughs> On the whole smoking weed thing. <laughs> so the cameras catch Fat Blunt 69 and the Brick Toss Kid and the crowd pass a pipe back and forth. Aww. Of course, after realizing this and after escaping a particularly brutal submission hold by Doom, uh, Overton Payne, instead of getting back into the fight, slides out of the ring, storms over to the two supposed opponents, grabs Brick Toss Kid, drags them back toward the ring, yelling at them about pot being illegal in this state unless you have a medical card. <laughs> Picks him up and throws him at Neil, knocking him off the ring apron. Oh my god. <laughs> and then Payne turns around and goes back into the crowd to brawl with Fat Blunt 69. <laughs> meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, Doom, still in the ring, Goodwill Green still in the ring, and Doom has Goodwill Green in a Fujiwara armbar, which is like 
Goodwill Green is face down with the arm extended, Oof. and Doom is like kneeling on her shoulder and like wrenching her arm back. That's a Fujiwara oh, arm no. bar. But then the crowd starts to slowly clap. You know, yeah. Goodwill Green gathers their strength. She starts to lift herself up, gathering her knees under her. And in an amazing feat of power, Goodwill Green stands up with Watership <gasps> Doom still straddling their shoulder and then in a single motion slams him to the mat. Fuck. Artemis, flying in from out of nowhere, going for the stag leap knee strike, but Green dodges, sends her flying into the turnbuckle so hard she flips over it and goes to the outside. Now kneels back in the ring. Goodwill Green counters him too, drops him with a massive pile driver she calls the Glacier's Revenge. Suddenly, the Bricktoss Kid comes flying off the top rope. Goodwill Green catches them, hoists them up into a military press in one fluid <gasps> motion, and throws them out of the ring into the crowd, where they crash into Overton, Payne, and Fat Blown 69, who have been brawling. The crowd roars to its feet. Goodwill Green stands tall in the middle of the ring. Thunderous chant, let's go green, let's go green. Yes! And then... A finger traces slowly along Goodwill Green's shoulder. Oh no. And they turn around and see Morgan Mab. Ugh. Seductive, entrancing, her smile promising all the pleasures of the Fey Kingdom. <sighs> As Goodwill Green stares at her, her features suddenly twist into a snarl, and she spews some kind of toxic black substance what? into Green's face. No! Making them stumble out of the ring, clawing at their eyes. But then. From out of nowhere, Crash Tag leaps into the ring, hits Mab with a massive code breaker, goes to the top rope. There's nobody around. Crash Tag comes off the top with Going Viral, his signature 630 splash, <gasps> which I might have said was a different kind of top rope move before. I don't remember, but right now it's a 630 splash. <laughs> and he drives Mab through the mat almost. The ref is there. One, two, it's over. Out. Somebody just dragged Crash Tag out of the ring <gasps> before the three count. What the fuck? It's Harry Bumblespike. <gasps> And there's like a moment of hesitation as the two look at each other. And then Bumblespike just viciously attacks, beating Crash Tag down, throwing him into the steel steps. <gasps> Fat Blunt 69 tries to help, but Bumblespike dispatches the robot too, continues attacking Crash Tag, just like crazed behavior. Oliver Silvers is there trying to drag his tag team partner away, totally shocked by their behavior. What the Bumblespike fuck? like finally relents, but they go over to the announce table, they grab the next Wrestling Fan Federation Championship, and they walk away with the title as Silver's, like, follows them trying to reason with them. Whoa. This craziness is the only opening Watership Doom needs. You can tell by the look in his eyes, we've seen it before, he has foreseen all of this. He's recovered from the slam by Goodwill Green. Goodwill Green herself is still, like, trying to get the black stuff out of her eyes. Doom tosses Crash Tag into the ring, levels him. With his finishing move, the weight of prophecy. <sighs> and again, the ref is there. Again, he counts. One, two. But then. Somebody's foot just like gently nudges Crash Tag's shoulder off the mat. <sighs> Watership Doom looks up and finds himself face to face with Artemis. Everybody knows that Doom didn't want it to go this way. Like... That mm -hmm. Doom has been avoiding Artemis for a long time. He saw that three count. Yeah. He saw that three count in his vision. He saw himself getting the win right there. And the arena just is hushed. And Artemis walks towards Doom, who sort of gets up on the mat. And Artemis is bathed in this glow of divine light. 
And doom winds up for the weight of prophecy because he's not going to go down like this, not to Artemis, not to anybody. And Artemis just catches it. She catches it like it's not the enormous overpowering move that it is. It is just nothing. And with Doom's arm still in her grasp, she just wraps both of her arms around him in her submission, arms of the goddess. Mm. And it is an overwhelming hug. And Doom, like he's struggling in it, you can see it, but he can't overcome it because it's not physical. It's not a physical contest. This is something else. And there's this look of horror on his face and then a shift. And I don't know what it is. No one knows what it is because this is not a look that has ever been on Watership Doom's face since the day he walked into this promotion. And we do not know what it means. And when Artemis reaches up on tiptoe to do the understanding kiss on the forehead that is the final piece of Arms of the Goddess, Doom tips his forehead down and lets her. And this weirdly slightly peaceful expression settles over his face and he taps out doom fucking taps out and the arena explodes in the weirdest way because it is like it's extraordinary like that's over this the, the culmination of this thing but what the fuck does this mean i have no idea i do know that like after the match like Mab kind of comes over to him and Neil kind of comes over to him and they're trying to like get him back to his senses and he like brushes them aside and like runs out and leaves. Oh my god. It's like covering his face like we don't know what happened. Holy it's shit. It's insane. I don't know what's going on with that. I don't know what's going on with fucking Bumble Spike walking out with the championship that isn't theirs right now. Yeah. I don't know what's going on with the, with the whole time stuff which made an appearance during this match. Just don't <laughs> forget that that's all happening. Lot going on. Congratulations to Artemis, Overton Payne, and the Toss Kid for yeah. winning the next Wrestling Fan Federation Trios Tournament. The first one, anyway, the inaugural Trios Tournament. Bob and I have, been ha- have had some discussions about uh, doing more of this kind of thing going forward. Probably smaller, uh, shorter uh, segments during these outros. Mm-hmm. But uh, you're going to be seeing more of this stuff because we have a lot of fun doing it. And yeah. based on your response, it seems like you have a lot of fun with us doing it, too. So, yeah. Um, Hope you enjoyed the finale. Hope you enjoyed my son on commentary. He had a lot of very incisive points. Um, His play-by-play, <laughs> frankly, tells the story of the match, I feel. Yeah, I agree. He had so much. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thank you so much to all of our patrons who make the show possible, yes. who made that match possible. Thank you so much to everybody who's uh, who's not a patron, who just can't or won't or doesn't want to or whatever. Uh, if you want to, if you want to get in on this action, get a character that we can play with and have some fun with, uh, all you have to do is go over to patreon.com slash fan and pledge at any level. $2 gets you the character, $5 gets you early access to the episodes, and we got a lot more where that came from. Yeah. So go check that out if you're not a patron yet and you're thinking of becoming one. If you're not thinking of becoming one, that's fine. That is love cool. All you. Don't worry about it. Yeah, we appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. And we will see you once again in two weeks with a new episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that extra yeah. The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman and Megan Bob, with logo design by Claire Mulcairin. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. 
Also, thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. The NXT Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan and join our fantastic stable of contributors. They're the best. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Sidebar, Miles, I did look into Lego faces because I was like, what are the other Lego faces? They now make one that has a roguish smile, sideburns, and a gold tooth. Wow. I have such mixed feelings about this. Yeah, same. Like, on the one hand, I'm so happy, but on the (laughs) other hand, this seems too sexy, and I don't don't know if I want that in my Legos. Okay. Yeah, if you could just like start playing drums and then just like screaming intermittently. (laughs) Yeah, just like just pull some Zoidberg shit occasionally so we know you're here. Beautiful. (laughs)